if for you that priority matters more than the other things and for whatever reason you've tried a bunch of different ways and feel like this is the right choice for you then i'd say go for it this is the happen to your career podcast with scott anthony barlow We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. What happens when you are ready to go and make a career change, and you recognize that You would much rather be doing work that's so much more meaningful to you. Maybe that means changing industries, or maybe that means moving from the private sector to nonprofit. Maybe it means more mission-driven work. Maybe it means helping people in a completely different way. Here's the thing. One of the biggest questions and one of the biggest fears and concerns that we have out there is that if you're going to do these things, How on earth are you going to be able to do them in a way that pays you the same or even more than what you make right now? It seems kind of impossible. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that pop into people's heads and also many questions too. Like what if I find an interesting role and a great organization, you know, it lines up really well. Is that worth taking a step back? Yeah, you know, maybe I should take less salary. Well, should I, you know, do something to get my foot in the door or break into that industry or use it as a stepping stone? So all these questions have a tendency to pop up. And as you might imagine, I think that there are some completely different ways to do this. Turns out we have somebody who I'm really excited to bring on to the podcast today that also feels the exact same way. And I think sometimes people assume that that's what's necessary. Like it has to be this really drastic change. But the fact of the matter is you have skills and they are transferable. It's just a question of how you're positioning and talking about it, right? So I've also had folks who made that transition, made less money, but are thrilled about it because the entire nature of their life and work is different based on that change. That's Kelly Paulson. She spent her entire career helping organizations, helping people basically just kick a whole bunch of ass and become much better versions of themselves. And she's done this in a variety of different ways. She, like me, has worked in HR over the years, but she's also done quite a few other things too. She's made she's made career changes, industry changes, you name it. The work's been there, got multiple t-shirts. And she's been coaching people since 2009. So it's been it's been a year or two as it turns out. And most recently, she's joined the Happen to Your Career team as one of our career coaches and we're thrilled to pieces to have her on board. But she's going to help us answer a few of these questions along the way about what should you do? How should you think about salary? And how does all this stuff work when you're trying to balance what I need, what I want, and meaningful work at the exact same time? In college, when you know every 18-year-old knows exactly what they want to do, right? And, and pick something from the start. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Uh, so I was a psych and English major because I happened to like both of those things. And they were the classes that I enjoyed the most. And um, from there, I did an internship with uh, uh, United Cerebral Palsy, working with individuals with developmental disabilities. 
So my original plan was to go back to school and become a psychologist. And uh, I had the benefit of having a sister who had done so. She has her PhD and I am very skilled at watching those ahead of me and navigating that and seeing what they went through and didn't go through. So when I graduated, I had an offer to work at a place with um, individuals with developmental disabilities hands-on, and I realized it wasn't for me. But what was for me and where I ended up landing was hiring people to work with people with developmental disabilities because I understood the space and I was good with people. It's not uncommon that psych majors end up in human resources, which I will tell you from the start, I loathed and I did the eye roll and all the (laughs) things that can come along with it. The HR, we call that the HR eye roll. Yeah. Yeah. The official. So I did that for probably about my, my first year and it was high volume recruiting with anyone and everyone, you know, days where I might've had 16 interviews a day, but it was great being thrown into the fire and really learning the ins and outs of how to have those conversations successfully and how to learn from people and, and, you know, what's true for them. So that was my start. And I went from there to another um, similar social services agencies where I was hiring more psychologists, social workers, that type of employee thinking that ultimately at some point I'd go back to school and become one of their psychologists or social workers. There I started to do more than recruiting. I did um, some training and every now and again, I'd back up the benefits person and, you know, a little more generalist work. And from there, you know, still a little lost and I didn't really dig, you know, people were nice. It was fine, but it's not like I was enthusiastically running into work every day. And then there was a job at the Philadelphia Zoo, which for me, like, who doesn't want to work at the zoo, right? And (laughs) I find this interesting because for those of us who, who go through this process, right, I applied And I thought I was perfect and I didn't hear from them. And probably about two months later, it was still up. And I applied again because I thought, you know what? Like, this is this is it. And reached out to them and ended up on the phone within an hour of that second outreach. And obviously, lo and behold, landed the gig. Started there um, doing, again, high volume recruiting. As you can imagine, a zoo in, in a city where it's very seasonal. They do yeah. a ton of hiring in the spring and summer. And so I was brought on to do that and inevitably, inevitably ended up taking over full-time recruiting as well. And it was there that I worked for a boss who got me to see things differently. And for me, it was seeing someone who wasn't viewing it from the policy side of things that didn't enjoy that people were afraid of human resources, you know, that um, didn't like the power trip piece of it that can sometimes come along with it for some individuals. He was about the people and knowing that the people could change the business. And so when I saw it from his perspective, I thought, all right, you know, maybe this is something I could do in the long run. Still wasn't sure. During my time there, the benefits person left and I raised my hand and said, hey, I know nothing about this, but I know it will make me a more well-rounded practitioner. Will you give me a shot? And he did. I won't lie. I did not care for that year plus in that role because (laughs) I am not a benefits person. Like Benefits and comp is not my favorite space to spend my time. What was not your favorite about it? Just curious. Um, I spent so many hours in spreadsheets and Excel and... You know, the less human interaction, I think yeah. it was a lot of that and much less the the very rarely would I have an employee had a workers comp issue or a leave issue who would come to see me and I'd help them solve for challenges. But other than that, it was so much more in spreadsheets than I care to do. That's super interesting. I loved that part of benefit. The introvert in me loved that part yeah. of benefits mm-hmm. and comp and sort of designing that that aspect. But I can also on the other token 
understand how that sounds terrible to most people, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, it was interesting, right? So this guy promotes me yeah. and then leaves within six months and I'd never done benefits. So I thankfully, those of you who've worked with benefits brokers who are the people that broker between you and the um, carriers and, yep. and help you guide your strategy. I had great brokers who taught me the ropes as best as I could. So I think that was also part of it. It was, I'm stuck in these spreadsheets, not sure I know what I'm doing. And oh my goodness, payroll is involved. It's like the last thing in the world you want to mess up. Right? <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, I did the whole, I was kind of acting lead while we looked for a replacement for him. And then saw an opportunity. I, I knew at that point, you know, once you do acting lead, sometimes it can be difficult to bring in the new boss and adjust to that once you've done a little bit of everything on the team. And at that point I had, right? I did training, I did benefits, I did recruiting and employee relations. So I wanted something different. And I saw uh, a, on Sherm, I think, a posting for an HR director at a small advertising agency. And, you know, you always hear about advertising and it's like, huh, well, that seemed pretty intriguing. And I'm curious about what motivates people. And so are they, and maybe that would be a good fit. And it was building their team. So I had the ability to go in and set the tone and really create the foundation and then take it whatever direction I wanted. So for me, that was when I walked into an agency, that was where I felt at home. It was like one of those moments where you feel the click and I thought, Oh, I should have been with this Mm. type of industry the entire time. Yeah. Because they just let you be creative, right? I mean, the people are really driven and brilliant and goofballs and just a lot of fun to work with. But from an HR perspective, you don't get a ton of ability. You don't get a lot of organizations looking for creativity in HR. So I had the ability there to really push the envelope in a variety of different ways. And it was at that point that I read a book from the Sherm Top 10 Books of the Month email that comes out, right? That had an interesting title and it prompted my um, love of coaching, really. So I, it was called Dream Manager. And it was a book about a fictional um, janitorial services company that had really bad turnover. And one of the things that they did to remedy was to hire a life coach for people's personal dreams and goals. That was sponsored by the employer with the theory that there's a strong connection between the dreams we chase personally and then how we show up at work. So for me, let's talk about inspiration. I became, I was just talking about this this week, you know, in Pretty Woman where there's the guy at the beginning that says like, what's your dream? This is Hollywood. Everyone has a dream. I became that man. It felt like for (laughs) the city of Philadelphia and beyond anyone that would talk to me about it. So I talked to the leadership team, the CEO into letting me launch. And that was when I just fell in love with coaching. So I did everything I could to devour any piece of content on it. Now I was a generalist, so I still did all of the other work, but in my mind, if it enabled me to do the work that I love the most, it was okay with me and I could do that. And again, I loved the environment and the people. So I was there for about five years and then another organization reached out to me, a recruiter about another agency looking to do something similar. And at first I'm like, no, I don't want to do the agency thing again, similar size. When you meet with someone and you know, you need to work with them. It was one of those moments. I met with the COO. She heard about some of the work that I had done. And actually they had posted for a business manager role. And when I looked at the job description, I said to the recruiter, that's not me. So I'm more than happy to speak to them. I've heard great things about them on the street. However, this isn't me. So when I went in and met with them, we had that conversation as well. And they rewrote the job description. I love that. 
Absolutely yeah. love that. We we need a name for um that whole when you know right like work love at first sight or yeah. something. Hashtag work yeah. love at first. I don't know. I'm making yeah. this up. No, I get you. Something like that. And I, those people are still in my life. So I um, joined that agency, similar thing, building, but they were larger and they were in multiple cities. There was an acquisition while I was there. And as you, as you can imagine, there's a ton of work that goes into that, but that was all new experiences for me. Um, I also continued with the dream program there yeah. and it was during my time there, you know, they really doubled down on growth and that's so important to me. So not only did I have the opportunity to do some of what I love, but I had the ability to push. So it was while I was there that I had a boss who, when I started, it was someone who specialized in HR and then he moved on. But I had a woman who had been in client services who was moved into that role. So she had never worked in HR and I had worked in agencies, but not directly with clients. And it was just this lovely partnership because we both knew that we knew our specialties and didn't have any of that weirdness that sometimes can come along with, you don't know this person, can you ask questions? And she would pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Does that seem insane? And I would do the same. So um, during my time there, I had the ability to do a lot of different things, both internally and externally. And for me, the external is probably what prompted the most um, change in terms of my coaching world. So a few things happened. I took a few coaching courses. I didn't take the jump into a certification right away because I didn't think that that was right for me off the bat. And I took a few courses. Um, one, it was through these women called Jen and Karen. I think it's like coaching with an edge or kickstart your coaching, something like that. And it was a few sessions and I, I loved it. And I thought, all right, I, where did they go for their certification? So I looked that up and inevitably enrolled myself in IPEC, the um, Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. At the same time, I also brought um, Disrupt HR, which is a movement on basically shaking things up in the HR space. Head style talk event type thing, where it just brings HR disruptors into a room together. So I founded it and then brought a team together in Philadelphia, all while in the coaching certification program. And also started at that time seeing more external clients than I had previously. Up until that point, I was internal coaching. So um, hectic year. I learned a lot about myself and about coaching and about, you know, creating an event and a successful event. And throughout all of those, I thought, wow, you know, sometimes you surprise yourself. If I can do all of these things, you know, what's Sky's the limit, basically. And so when I finished my coaching program, I had started probably a few months prior to the end hinting with my organization saying, hey, I absolutely adore it here. However, I don't want to do the HR generalist work anymore, even though I was you know, leading a team and it was interesting. I want to double down on learning and development and coaching work. And if that is something that can happen here, wonderful. If it isn't, that's okay too, but you probably won't keep me much beyond X date. And this again was several months out. So we built a job description and, and worked through it myself, my boss at the time, who was an EVP of human resources and the CEO. And we yeah. got to a point where it did come to fruition. And I did that for, gosh, about a little over a year. So I ran the coaching program. I did coaching for leaders. I did the dream coaching as well. But then I built all of their learning and development, whether internal or external, 
So it was, I owned the conference budget, but I would also create, here, here's how to have a successful one-on-one with your team. I did all of the management and leadership training and anything above and beyond that for the organization. It was a great experience. And then during that time, I was getting more and more. I also started working with places like The Muse and Career Contessa doing career coaching. And I was getting more and more clients there and realizing that I loved that work so much. And it got to the point where I, because of just so many responsibilities, I needed to turn those down because they weren't my full-time job. And for me, that was a sign of, okay, if that's really what you want to do, then go for it. Um, And so we're talking about... Last year, around this time, a little bit earlier, I have noticed, I think in June, Yeah. and I gave them three months. So September 1st was my last full-time day at Allen and Gerritsen, which is where I was at the time. And I've been building my coaching practice since. Um, and you know this, I, it's yeah. not that I just do career coaching. I do, um, though that's my favorite, I do some leadership coaching and I still do some management training for organizations. And uh, there's a lot of variety and I've always dug that. And I think that's something when I spoke earlier to the agency world being right for me, there's a lot of variety in a smaller agency. Like the pace is crazy, but you also do a lot of different things and wear a lot of different hats. And I think that that was part of why it really spoke to me uh, and stuck with me in the long run. So now here we are a year into entrepreneurship. What a ride it has been. Um, I talk about learning, right? You just so many things during the course of this year and worked with so many phenomenal people, more career coaching work than, than anything else. And just to see and experience, not only to have these conversations, but, you know, getting to the end of a call and someone saying, Oh my gosh, I feel completely differently about all of this. You know, it's just, that's why I'm here. Um, so, you know, to, we just spend way too much time at work. When I say we spend too much time there to feel crappy about it. And too many of us do. And from not only my HR days, but now I just, it's, it's out there and it doesn't need to be. So I, you know, do anything and everything I can to help shift that for people. I think that's one of the really interesting things about seeing multiple sides of the table because Mm -hmm. you do career coaching now, obviously Mm -hmm. do a few other things too, but you know, you do career coaching, um, now for, for the majority of what you do, but having that experience where, you know, you have to talk to, uh, have to, or get to whichever way you want to look at it. If you're in HR, um, I loved that part of it, but not everybody does, but having the employee that's sitting right in front of you that really dislikes their job and, and some of the aspects of it. And it's things that in some ways you have an impact on or influence or control and, and, you know, having seen that side of it, plus, you know, having hired people, uh, plus having uh, the other side of it too, where, you know, people are coming to you and they're like, Hey, how do I, how do I make this happen? Or how do I look at this differently? I don't want to continue going down the road where I don't like my career and I'm spending 10 hours a day there. Like that doesn't sound like a good plan to me. Um, but I, I, that was one of the reasons, you know, when we started talking before we brought you onto the team, way back when, um, what that I was really interested too, just because, I mean, partially because I'm a little biased. I have some of that experience myself, but then partially because, um, you know, you've, you've been there and done that. And some of the things that you've, you've done really stood out to me too, in terms of, you know, not, not just accepting what 
came your way, but leveraging some of those things that came your way and turning those into your own opportunities. Like you mentioned, hey, they, you know, they rewrote the role and and not just accepting the situation that uh that yeah, you know, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go and you know do my own thing and it's it's going to be this way or the highway, but then opening up a conversation and turning it into a collaboration to be able to ultimately get what you want over a longer period of time and get a variety of opportunities and experiences that really are much more on your terms, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. I love that. So nicely done, first of all. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I... Um, <laughs> it, what isn't always obvious when we have these types of conversations is just the sheer amount of thought and work and effort, uh, both mental effort and you know sometimes physical effort too that that goes into creating those types of situations for yourself. So yeah. I, I just really appreciate that on that level too. But now that you have all of this, all of this knowledge and background and all, all kinds of other things that have a tendency to come with, you know, been like the been there, got the t-shirt, enough t-shirts to make a quilt sort of thing. Um, I think we should tackle a few questions because we actually had a several listener questions that, uh, that came in from, well, I think it's one listener in particular, but we've had some really similar questions come in from other people too. So let me set up the the story here. You know, this this email, and we've received a number of very similar emails really recently in the last month or two here, by two months. And you know, this particular listener was really finding that she was falling to a lot of the worries and anxieties and questions that have a tendency to come along with with salary about what what is possible, what isn't possible, you know, what what circumstances are more likely and all the things that we have a tendency to do in our heads. So, I'm just going to read part of this for you. And she asked several questions in here, and I'd love to just break it down sort of piece by piece here. This comes from Lauren by the way. She says that hey, I you know, I'm worried about uh, you know some of the worries, anxieties, questions that career changers have about salary. And she said, it goes on to say, money comes up tangentially in many of the episodes. She's talking about the podcast. She's a listener of the podcast, you know, often around how to build a runway before you leave your current role. But I can't recall a dedicated in-depth discussion about salary. So she goes on to then to say, it'd be great to hear some specific examples of people who successfully shifted to work that fits them and increased their compensation. Or uh, if it bears out in your experience, people who accepted less salary in a new industry and don't regret it because they're happier, either because the work is so gratifying or it allows a lifestyle that suits them better. Okay. Now, I want to do that and I want to provide some of these stories along the way here too. But then she goes on to ask some really specific questions. You know, she says, in general, should career changers be prepared to accept a lower salary? So what do you think? Tell me a little bit about what you what you've seen and what you believe about that. Sure. Well, so I I feel like I've seen it all in terms of have I had people who have transitioned into roles that spoke more to who they are and they earned more? Yes. Have I seen people make lateral moves? Yes, I have. And I also have seen people, you know, take a step back slightly financially. I'm not, no one I know, you know, has chopped their salary in half. And I think sometimes people assume that that's what's necessary. Like it has to be this really drastic change. But the fact of the matter is you have skills and they are transferable. It's just a question of how you're positioning and talking about it. Right. So, um, I've also had folks who made that transition, made, made less money, but are thrilled about it. 
because the, you know, the entire nature of their life and work is different based on that change. And I think a lot of it comes down to values as well. You know, like what matters most to you? And if the, if some folks that I talk to, money doesn't even come up at first, which I think is unrealistic because I mean, we all have bills to pay and lives to lead. But I think that's an assumption that a lot of people make is in order to make this change, I have to start from scratch and go to entry level salary. And then of course, if that's how you're thinking about it, it makes it a much more overwhelming and scary change when change is scary enough to begin with. That's super interesting. I to build on that, I, I find people have a tendency to go where they set their target, like where you're where they're pointing their arrow, if you will. Mm. And if they assume that they are going to make a lower salary, then very often I've seen those people that go into it uh, thinking they have to end up making a lower salary or vice versa. One of the things that we've seen here, you know, working through working through people with career change bootcamp or in our signature coaching program or in any capacity that we've worked with people over the years. Um, it, it's been it's been really interesting because we've observed that the vast majority of those people have either stayed the same when they're accepting new jobs, they new roles, they have either stayed the same or increased their salary. And mm-hmm. you know we have countless examples of that. Um, but part of that, and you and I were talking a little bit about this before we hit the record button. Part of that is part of that is them coming to coming to us, and then a lot of times we're doing doing some of the harder in depth mental work with them initially to define what they want. And sometimes that is around money too. And and then we're telling them, hey, guess what? Usually what happens is we see people stay the same or above. And that's where they point their arrow. And then mm-hmm. unsurprisingly, that's where they end up too. So there's a little bit of that built into it as well. But I can also think of other situations like, you know, uh, we had, we worked with um, a woman named Erica and she was in digital marketing and, and she had, um, she had made the move to a totally different state and everything like that. Didn't have a lot of contacts there, whatever, but ended up, ended up actually um, deciding that she, she needed to accept less. Like that's one of the things that was in her mind. And that was kind of where she was going at first. End up, ended up encountering her, started to work with her and realized that, Hey, you don't actually have to do this. This isn't the direction that you have to go. Um, and the reason she was thinking about that initially is because she really wanted more flexibility. Like that's mm-hmm. something she felt like she was missing for a long period of time and would make the role right for her in a lot of different ways. And ended up after everything was done, fast forward, ended up accepting a role that offered essentially the the same amount of the same amount of money, but less hours. Which was fantastic, right? Right. Like it, wins all around. Yeah, wins all around. Um, but I don't think that that would have happened until she had adjusted her where she was aiming. Quite yeah. frankly, so I, I think that there's a lot of those. But what about what about a different? You know, she asked Lauren in this case, who sent in the question, asked another question too. Well, what about different sectors? And she gives the example of. You know, whether if you're moving from private sector to government or you're moving to a nonprofit or you want to go and do mission driven work helping people, like what should you expect there? I mean, I similar to what you said, I mean, you you likely will get what you expect, right? But I think that sure, I, people make assumptions sometimes that nonprofits, there obviously there's a scale 
in terms of some of them probably have more than others, but some of them are businesses like anywhere else. And they realize that they need to pay more to get the talent that they want in order to continue to evolve and grow and forward their mission. So I think often people assume that they're going to make, you know, in order to work for a mission driven organization, um, they need to do that. But I've had people transition from government roles and go into nonprofits. And I, it was either lateral or just higher than what they were making. Uh, I don't think in your, like in your example earlier, I don't know that they worked less hours. However, the happiness that the, the meaningful work that they were doing more than made up for, you know, the experiences that they had had previously. Yeah. 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 It, and sort of the way that I've thought about this over the years too, to kind of build on what you're saying is that take like nonprofit, for example, nonprofit as a whole on average pays less than some other industries. But to your point, like kind of where you, <laughs> you know, where you kind of intend on going has a tendency to to influence that and, and where you went up. And I, I think, you know, good evidence of this too is, geez, not that long ago, we had Jackie on, on the podcast. She ended up working for a organization that is is very meaning driven falls into that nonprofit sector as well in a, and you know she basically went to them and said here's what i need and mm-hmm. you know they were very open to that conversation and she got exactly what she needed and wanted out of out of the deal and without sharing exactly what she made you know it was it was a it was an amazing deal for her and it was well above what uh, what the averages are and i think when you're in this type of situation it is helpful to remember you don't need all the jobs. You don't need the industry average. You don't need all the things that are making up that average. You just only need one. Yeah. It only takes one. Only takes one. Yeah. You're right on the, you know, sometimes people do, I mean, not sometimes, often people get in their own way yeah. in terms of they decide, okay, well, there's no way I'll get this. And then that thought process continues. And then they're feeling not great in their day to day. And then it's just all swarming around in here. But sometimes it's the confidence and willingness to say, oh, you know what? On paper, this looks really great. If this is your range and this is my range and you have no ability to be flexible with me, then it's probably not okay for me. Right? Like I'm going to walk. Yeah. And feeling comfortable and confident that knowing when um, you close one door, another will open. That's a part of it is being willing to say, you know, this isn't the right fit for me and trusting that the thing that is right for you will appear. But if you spend all your time worried about those other opportunities that for whatever reason might not have been the one, you could miss out on them because you're just too focused on what didn't turn out as opposed to what could. That's super interesting. I think you're totally right. It it seems like it's a, first of all, when you're in that situation, there is all the, what did you call it? The swarming or the, mm-hmm. like the whirling around or whatever, whatever you said. I, I think that that's a great way to describe what happens because you've got all these emotions. Like you worked hard to be able to get this offer in the first place. And then it's like, well, what if they, you know, what if they don't want to accept what I really want? Should I ask, am I going to lose it? And like all the mm-hmm. other things that have a tendency to float around our heads. Uh, but then the other side of it too is like having the having the confidence to uh, recognize that, as you said, when something closes, another door opens, and it is difficult. Like calling a spade a spade, it is difficult to do that when you're in that situation. And it's much yeah. easier 
for me as a coach, you know, sitting on the other side of seeing that literally thousands of times where we know that to be true. And, yeah. uh, but I think that's part of the reason why going back to, you know, some of the folks that we've worked with, I suppose that's part of the reason why they might have a higher than average uh, success rate around you know, obtaining higher salaries and things along those lines too. Because if it's just you going through that, <laughs> then you're stuck with all the whirling and everything versus if you have somebody there that's telling you, no, look, I've seen this thousands of times. Here's how it works. It's going to be okay. Like on the mm-hmm. other side of this. So yeah, can totally see both sides. Here's a different question though, along the same lines that Lauren had asked. She says, what about if I find an interesting role with a great organization that suits my values, suits my interests? Is it worth actually taking a step back in responsibility or salary to, and she uses quotes, to break into that industry or use something as a, a stepping stone? This is a this is an interesting question, but I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Well, I, I think a lot of things are worth it if you can get to that place, whatever that place is for you. Again, the don't assume that you have to in order to get to that place. I think a lot of people just automatically make that assumption. So knowing that, you know, maybe in some instances you will have to or need to, but it's not a have to or need, it's a choice, right? And if if for you, that priority matters more than the other things, and for whatever reason, you've tried a bunch of different ways and feel like this is the right choice for you, then I'd say go for it. I mean, you, you don't need to, right. But I think that very few people that I have worked with that made big transitions when they really did the work on the upfront, right. To get crystal clear on what matters to them and like really try and make change and think it all through because it, it's a process and it's scary and it's scary for, you know, any single, any person, no matter what level they are in their career, senior, junior, whatever, um, but if at the end of the line is this dream gig and you know in your heart of hearts it is, then I don't see anything wrong with taking a step back. But what I do disagree with is assuming that you have to. I love that. And it, it almost seems like that should be sort of a red flag for like alarm bells should be going off anytime you find yourself saying the statement like, well, I feel like I have to, because it's going to allow me to get my foot in the door. Or Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to, because I don't know, insert your, insert your reason or justification here. Like that, that in itself. uh, And actually now that I think about it, that's, I've kind of started using this, um, probably about 10 years ago for myself in some ways where like anytime I find that I should be doing something or I I find that should or have to is coming out of my mouth, Mm -hmm. then, then it's probably time to reassess. Is that a, is that a real thing? Is that, uh, or is that just my perception of, of what must be done? Because to your point, like it's, it really is a choice and it can be a choice, but only if you recognize that it's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on the should front. That's one of those words. And anytime I hear it, I go, Oh, like, what's that about? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Clearly something's going on here. Let's take a step back. And I have said that to clients too. I'm like, whenever you hear, you've probably heard Scott, that people say like shooting all over yourself. Yeah. 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 So whenever you hear that word, that's a clue that something's going on. Perhaps you're thinking that you need to do something that you don't want to do when you may not need to. That is, uh, <laughs> yes, please, please do not should. Um, but th- what about, what about this idea of foot in the door? Mm-hmm. How about, or breaking into an industry, uh, or things along those lines? 
because that's that is one of the most common pieces I think that I've heard again and again. Like people come to me all the time saying, "Hey, I here's my idea. Okay, so here's my plan." Like I'll ask them, "Okay, what, you know, what what's your plan if we're not helping you? Uh, mm-hmm. Like what are you going to go do?" Well, I'm going to uh, I'm talking to these people over here and seeing if I can get this, you know, insert lower level role here. Uh, because I think it's going to allow me to break into the industry or get my foot in the door and everything along those lines. And um, I'm curious, I've got my own set of perceptions, but have you seen that be an effective approach? And if so, under what circumstances can I have you seen that be an effective approach? Yeah. I mean, I've seen it occur a few times. Um, most of this, so a lot of my backgrounds in advertising, right? So I work with a lot of advertising clients. Yeah, um, yeah. I've seen people come from like senior roles in insurance companies to be, uh, you know, an associate level in an ad agency. And again, when, you, when you're doing something like that, I think you do have the financial impact. Um, and you can rise the ranks pretty quickly, but I don't know that it's a necessity. And I've also had, you know, career changers from, all walks of life say, I'll do anything and everything to get in there. And I think that's part of it too. When I was the recruiter, someone saying, I'll do anything and everything for a variety of reasons. One, I, I'm happy that they're hungry and want it. <laughs> Does it make you cringe a little bit though? Right. Right. <laughs> but that, like value yourself, right? Like we, like, you, you're bringing something to the table. So what I often say to people is, all right, like you, what is it about not having experience in this industry that's going to be amazing for this organization if they bring you in? Because guess what? How many, like we know all day, every day we hear about diversity and diversity can be defined in a variety of different ways. And diversity of thought is a big part of that. And I used to, you know, any industry probably trades employees left and right all the time because you get, it's not, it's easier to train or whatever it is. They, they already understand what, the business isn't about, but then they're not necessarily asking the questions that will change the course of your business because they've been immersed in it for so long that they can't see the forest for the trees. So how do you lean into, yes, I've worked in this industry and here's how I think it will benefit your organization that I'm going to bring this different perspective. That's been a really interesting way. I think for, you know, when I was recruiting, when I heard that, I'd be like, yep, okay. I get it. Let's talk a little bit more. And I think that was where a hiring manager would be more intrigued um, than just saying, I'll do anything and everything. You know, you guys have a cool website. (laughs) So for behind the scenes, that's that those are things that get uttered in interviews constantly. And for uh, hiring professionals that do that all the time, those can be red flags in sometimes not as good ways, depending on the circumstances and everything, certainly. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because I can't tell you the amount of times where I've heard both those things. <laughs> well, it's funny you say foot in the door. When I was a recruiter, someone actually sent me a plastic foot once with a resume. Oh yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my foot in the door. Yeah, I found it disturbing. I couldn't tell you the person's name, right? Like I wouldn't, I first of all, I couldn't, but I also don't remember it. But I remember the uncomfortable feelings I had when a plastic foot showed up. <laughs> we ha- we have an article on our site, uh, and you can you can search "standing out," and we give you know, three different three different rules to be able to stand out in a positive way. And uh, they're really great rules of thumb. It might almost be a good I don't know the laws of standing out because like this, like that person stood out, but it was creepy, and it 
wasn't effective. And you don't remember their name till to this day. I had a similar experience where we had a uh, we had somebody applying for a management position that, for all intents and purposes, didn't have a. Did, the things that she sent us didn't indicate any way that she had any kind of leadership experience whatsoever, but she did send us an eight by 10 glossy photo of, uh, and it was autographed. So, um, so there was That's that. Hilarious. And again, wow. I, don't, I don't remember her name to be quite honest and we didn't bring her in for an interview, but similar, she stood out in the fact that you would like, you'd remember that, mm. but I don't Autographed yeah. too. Autographed. Yes. Yes. Her experience was as a diesel mechanic, um, too, which was nothing wrong with that. It just, it didn't really fit together in a way that would allowed us to be able to say yes to the next step. Right. Right. Okay. So here's, here's, I think, I think some of the biggest reasons why people have a tendency, why we as a tendency as human beings have a, we gravitate toward these types of questions like, you know, should I accept less or should I take a step back or am I going to have to take a step back? And we have all the worries around it. Um, I, I think it really is more about those fears that happen. And, you know, Lauren, another part of the the email that she sent, and I'm just going to share just a little bit of this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but she goes on to say, you know, there's kind of the fear, fear and thought gremlins that, that creep in for me. And, you know, she describes a little bit about her situation. Although my current work is unfulfilling, I've worked really hard for a decade to establish myself in this particular profession. So what if I let go of the seniority or stability I've achieved in order to pursue more meaningful work, but the industry I really want to contribute pays less than I've earned previously. seems like a bitter pill to swallow. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of assumptions made in that, some of which we've already talked about, but you know, what, what advice would you give to Lauren or anybody who has similar thoughts to, to Lauren overall that's facing that type of thing? Yeah, I, I guess in those instances, I have inevitably a bunch of questions, but you can ask yourself, like, all right, what if that happens? Right. If, if like, what is the worst that could happen in that situation? If you're, if you're not happy in what you're doing now, continuing to do what you're doing now is not going to suddenly change overnight. So fast forward 10 years, is it going to matter that you have the salary that you have and the title that you have and the level that you have, or that are you going to regret the fact that you didn't try to make a change? So not, you know, obviously I know that you're experiencing a lot of fears and, and, and stress in there already. I don't want to add to that, but I also think that people need to think those things through Right. Because the what if, what if, what if you're never going to know until you take action. And I think the what ifs will keep you paralyzed and inaction for as long as you'll let them. And um, some of it is back to like what you really what matters most to you. Because if it is the you know prestige or, you know, some people and, and this is not in any way judgment. There are some people that it's like, yep, my job's my job right? I go, I make money, I come home and then I live my life. And they're completely different things where in theory, they think they're completely different things. Right. And that's okay too, but make that a, um, an intended choice on your part, not just, I put my head down and 10 years went by and here I am. And now I'm stuck with it. Totally. Agreed. And I think a couple of things that you said earlier too is there's some situations in which 
you know, it, it could be right to make that type of change. Um, however, you'd have to decide for, for yourself and more importantly to, uh, to build on what you had said, like at some point you like have to move forward to even, to even find out now, what's really interesting is, uh, the studies that are out there that evaluate this sort of thing and evaluate what ends up in regret versus what doesn't end up in regret nearly every single time the answer is should i stay or should i go it is the <laughs> it is the staying and wondering that ends up in regret and very very rarely the going that has a going rarely has a has a likely chance of ending up in regret so almost always statistically the answer to should i stay or should i go is is go which is crazy it does, it feels that feels very counterintuitive from how we feel in the moment yeah i also find um sometimes it can be valuable to ask the people around you and i don't mean for their op- opinion so to speak but if you don't pay attention to what you're saying, like sometimes you can say to your significant other or your best friend or whatever, I would do anything. I would earn half of what I'm earning now to not have to deal with this anymore. But you don't know that you're saying it. Right? Like sometimes people in your life can say, um, you've said, and that's partially why working with a coach is valuable, right? Because that's yeah. what we're there to do. Notice and mirror it back and ask the questions. But sometimes even those people in your world can say, um, you know, if you're considering this or that and say, I've heard you say, I've worked with people. I can remember them saying they hated the industry that they were in multiple times in like a 10 minute time frame to me. And it's like, well, what, what do you think is going to change about this whole industry for you? Because you say this all the time, whether or not you realize it, sometimes that could be helpful to prompt us to make change when perhaps we're not noticing it. We're just in the feeling part of it. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. We we also had um, something else that pops up in my mind about this particular question is the whole, I've worked really hard for this and I'm afraid of giving it up. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had, I think we've had a lot of people actually that have felt that same way. And if you go back and listen to past episodes of the podcast, one of them in particular is a woman named Jenny. And she, she felt very like she had, you know, she had a PhD, she had worked a ton uh, for, to be able to get to where she wanted. And even though like the job was and the industry was completely draining her on a daily basis, she still could not get rid of this from, from her head. Like it would continually pop up in there. It's like, am I giving up everything that I've worked for? And I find that a lot of the times when you when you get to that type of situation, it really helps to reframe it. First of all, when people make these changes, even if they're moving to another industry or another type of role or whatever it is, rarely do they feel like on the other side that they're actually giving up something. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that, first of all. But then the second piece is reframing it to a, how can I leverage what I had my experiences, which doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and do exact same thing, but how can I leverage my experiences that I have and the insight that I have from doing these things in the past into what is going to create a really re- rewarding and fulfilling opportunity moving forward? And of course, part of that is to your point earlier, like there's there's some sometimes difficult reflective and thought work deciding what what really creates a an amazing career opportunity for, for you moving forward. But then the other side of it is, um, 
is just completely looking at it in different. It's the same situation either way. Like, mm-hmm. but one situation you feel like you've lost something, and the other situation you feel like you've gained something. Just totally depending on how you look at it. Right. I mean, every step you've taken has gotten to gotten you to where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, I so very much appreciate you taking the time and making the time coming on the show here. Uh, by the way, um, if you want to know more about, about Kelly, uh, as she's joined our team, there's a couple places that you can, you can certainly learn more. Uh, one is you can go to happenyourcareer.com forward slash two, four, five, and you'll find everything that we talked about within this episode. And also links to Kelly's profile on our site, uh, Kelly's coaching profile on our site. And then um, you can actually go and go to happenyourcareer.com and search Kelly and that'll pop right up too. Kelly, any, uh, thank you, first of all, this is, this has been amazing and I really appreciate it. And I have also really appreciated the opportunity getting to know you for the last, geez, I guess we, we first emailed probably like eight months ago or something, right? Mm. Nine months ago, maybe closer to a year. I can't even remember at this point. It's gone quick. Yeah, it has, but it's been fun the whole time. So that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that is a great sign. That yeah. is a great sign. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, I hope you love that conversation with Kelly as much as I did. And we've been so excited to have her on the Happen to Your Career team as a career coach. And we have even more coming up for you next week right here on the Happen to Your Career podcast. What happens when you want to enter a completely new stage of life and you want to step away or need to step away in order to really get some perspective? Well, we have somebody on here who's done some pretty pretty audacious things and had a lot of courage to be completely change her life and the life of her family. It was kind of that pivot situation. As the company was changing, my personal life was also changing. And at first, we got to take a couple trips and I would work remotely, still, you know, be in touch with everything that was going on and also have vacation time. But after doing that for a year or two, a couple extended trips, I was like, this isn't working quite right. There's too much going on in the business and there's too much that I want to be doing personally. Tune in next week to find out how Robbie went from a pretty amazing job that actually was pretty great, but still completely changing her life and ended up in a three and a half month long road trip, which (laughs) ended up passing through Moses Lake and our studio. All right. We'll see you next week right here on Happen to Your Career. Until then, I am out. Adios.